welcome to the Alternative to Rehab podcast with your host, Dave Cooper. So today we're going to look at what has become chapter 7 in the updated book of uh, I'm a Christian, so why am I still dot dot dot. So I'm going to read from, as I say, what has become chapter 7 and then I'm going to speak to it for a short while just to give you uh, some uh, more um, expanded view of what, what this means to you and what it can mean to you in terms of your spiritual progress. So let's get straight into it. I'm reading from chapter 7 and this is entitled Inner Discipling the Theory. So, having returned to a biblical view of yourself, you now understand yourself a lot better. You have a clear picture of how you are more complex than you thought and a more measured and useful idea of the true nature of sin. Those apparently crazy behaviours and thoughts now make more sense. But how do you work with this biblical understanding of yourself? If you're going to use this approach effectively, it's not just a matter of understanding yourself from this perspective. You need to develop methods to face every challenge. Methods that go along with the approach. You need to learn to work with and not against yourself in your life. Learning to collaborate with your inner disciples is where all the progress takes place. I want to first describe the process of transforming your language from blended to unblended, which will help you understand when your brain is intervening and in which way. Secondly, I want to give you a better understanding of how to take the observer position. It is from this position that leadership and course correction can take place. I have found that the best place to start your practice is with your everyday language, particularly the way you talk about yourself to yourself. Finally, we will look at how to re-trigger your core self when you do find that you're in this triggered state. Then there's a new section called From Blended to Unblended Language. Earlier, I introduced you to the idea of unblending, which is the starting point to understanding and working with yourself effectively, as well as unblending as a way of understanding yourself better. I want you to put this idea into practice by firstly unblending your language, especially in the way you talk about yourself. One of the most important aspects of the medical model is the way that it produces blended language. It actually encourages it. So blended language is defined as any form of speaking or writing that blends everything that you are into one thing, such as, you know, when you say the pronoun I. In this way, Everything you do or say is attributed to this thing called you, even though the behaviour and attitudes may completely contradict how you generally feel or the values you hold. Let me give you a few examples of how to spot this blended language. I then give an example here um, uh, by giving you a blended statement, which is this. I used to be really organised and calm, but now I panic over the smallest things. 
I then offer an unblended translation of that statement. I am really organised and calm, but there is a very panicky part of me that is triggered by the smallest things. Uh, I then give example two. The blended statement is, I used to get so angry when he said things like that, but these days it doesn't bother me so much. Unblended translation. My angry part is triggered by things he says, but these days the part that trusts me to handle it. Now, notice in the blended part of the examples that a timeline is present. I used to be, but now I'm, you know, that is what we call a timeline. Using a past, present and future, timeline is the way we usually make sense of any changes or inconsistency in our speech, attitude or behaviour. The important difference between our consciousness and our brain, in biblical language, between our spirit and our flesh, is that there is no timeline in the brain. Now this is one of the reasons that unblending is so important. You see, in your brain, it's always no. This is why your reaction to things can surprise and confuse you. It's because your brain is often reacting to things because of what happened decades ago. Things that you, in your consciousness, have long since forgotten. Now, the unblended translation, one of the first things it does, it removes the timeline. And it speaks more like, I am, but there is, which separates the two states and attributes them to two different parts. So there's no change over time, except for which part is in the driving seat, as it were, or how much you are trusted by your brain, stroke, uh, brackets, flesh. Now in the second example, the timeline of course is also present, I used to, but these days. But the unblended translation includes the separation of self from part. It also includes the idea of practice, the way we can convince our parts to trust us. You know, it says, that part trusts me. Now this is the main way that parts change. They learn to trust our core self, just as the disciples learned to trust Jesus. So unblended language has two main ideas. Number one, removing the timeline. And number two, separating self from part. Developing an unblended language is one of the hardest changes we can make. And it is when we attempt to practice this new skill that we often realise just how much the traditional, uh, brackets, medical way of thinking about yourself uh, and ourselves dominates our thinking. When you say I, you are generally, of course, referring to a single entity, you. Of course, this makes sense from the perspective of pragmatics, shorthand, common sense. We are delineated by our physical sense. We are individuals responsible for our decisions. And I put in bold uh, writing then, this approach is not an attempt to avoid responsibility. Really important idea there. 
we are culpable and accountable for everything we do. It is unavoidable and reasonable that when we do something, we're going to be held responsible for our actions unless we are in a diminished um, state in a legal sense. Clients often tell me of decisions they made and things they have done. These things seemed crazy to them now uh, that they were sitting in a room with me talking uh, calmly about them. At times like these, I would often ask, we both support different football teams, don't we? Does that seem crazy to you? Well, of course it doesn't, because there are two people and two opinions. So as soon as we separate out the parts of us that have different opinions, it all starts to make sense. It's only when we try to squeeze all our conflicted opinions into a blended single self that we can feel crazy. And this is where all the pathologizing comes from. Romans 7.18 then is quoted, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Ask yourself this, is Jesus inconsistent? Was he changeable and moody? Well, Christ in you is just as consistent as when he walked the earth. And once you accept this, then it becomes obvious that when you behave in ways that you do not like or do not want, other parts are involved. These other parts, or flesh if you like, are just as consistent as your core self, but they have a fleshly perspective. Their perspective is literally different to yours. They have different strategies and beliefs about what will help. With practice, you will learn all about these parts, how it feels when they take over, what they are certain about, what they are triggered by, and when and how they were formed or constructed. Eventually, you will teach them to trust you. But you can only do this well when you stop fighting them. That's an important point. And then I say, let me give you an example. And I go on in the book. So we'll save that for next time. Uh, what I want to do now is, having read that small section from uh, chapter 7, I just want to speak a little bit more and expand a little bit more on this understanding. This is the sort of thing that I'm working with every day with clients and the results I'm getting are amazing. Absolutely the most effective thing I have ever done as a therapist in my 20 years, uh, over 20 years actually, of practice is the idea of understanding ourselves as complex and multifaceted. And of course it hasn't escaped my attention in writing this book that that's exactly what the Bible has been saying all along. So when we talk about unblending, don't think of it as just some little exercise you can do. Think of it as part of the biblical understanding of who and what you are. You have both the flesh and the spirit living in you. And don't be uh, led on by uh, people who you know, frankly, uh, you'll see them coming because they usually talk as if they know everything. And what they will do is they will sell you basically the idea that once you have given your life and that you're somehow, you know, transformed because you said this prayer or something, uh, 
you know, that you're then not a sinner anymore or that you, uh, you know, never have to sin again. This just simply makes people feel bad about themselves. And worst of all, it is simply untrue. The Bible says it quite simply. It says anyone who says they're not a sinner, it makes God out to be a liar. You have a sinful nature living in you. And as long as you are living and breathing on this earth, it will coexist within you. Once you accept that, then not only are you more in line with reality, but you are more able to follow the very pattern that Jesus left us, which is the most wonderful thing. The idea that discipling as a way of working on our own spiritual progress has been hiding in plain sight in the Bible for over 2,000 years just blows my mind. The idea that God has left us this pattern is just the most amazing thing and something that is so effective once we grasp it and work with it. So I'm not going to go too much into that because, of course, that's the whole thesis of the book and you've heard about that before. I hope you're as excited about it as I am. But let's talk what this chapter is talking about and expand it a little more. It's basically talking about unblending and the biblical importance of unblending. And of course, to do this, we have to understand the true nature of sin or sin in its most basic form. So I talk about this in another part. So again, I won't go into that too deeply, but I want you to understand that the most effective, pragmatic, simple way of understanding and working with your own sinful nature is to think of it as part of you rather than something that is external to you. The more you think about Satan and and his, his angels and demons coming to attack you, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm saying the Bible is very clear what to do when it does happen. But when the Bible talks about the nature of sin, where does it talk about this? More Uh, in a more concentrated form than anywhere else. Well, I would argue, I might be, uh, you might disagree with this, but I would argue it's in Romans from chapter, maybe from chapter 5 to chapter 8, for instance. 5, 6, 7 and 8. Now, you don't hear much teaching on this because it's thought of as being so complicated and so complex. People often don't delve into it. But I want you to know that if you follow this approach, you will love Romans chapter 5, 6, 7 and 8. Why? Because it makes perfect sense of what we're talking about. But the main thing I want you to know when we talk about understanding sin, and you can check this out for yourself, don't just believe me, I want you to read Romans 5, 6, 7 and 8 and see if you can find where Satan is mentioned. Yeah, he's talking about the true nature of sin. And what is he talking about? He's talking about you. He's talking about your nature. And Satan doesn't even get a mention. In the most concentrated passage about sin in the Bible, Satan isn't even talked about. You are talked about. There's only one part you might say is Romans 8 verse 38 when it says nothing can separate us and it says nor demons. That's the only time it's mentioned. Right? Everywhere else throughout those four chapters he's talking about your sinful nature. He says nothing good uh, lives in me. 
For instance, it's, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. It says, we were God's enemies. We were God's enemies, right? In other words, the way we lived, when it talks about in Romans 12 too, not to be conformed to this world, it says, you know, when we were conformed to this world, we were God's enemies. And it talks also about sin seizing the opportunity. You know, once the law is introduced, that sin seizes this opportunity. Well, you might say, well, that is a word for Satan, but it's basically your sinful nature. The sin within us seizes that opportunity. And of course, many times it talks about things like the evil I do. Right? The evil I do. Now, this is within us all. And we all know this from uh, passages like, um, for instance, Matthew 7, verse 11, where Jesus, after the Beatitudes uh, from, from chapter 5, he's teaching the disciples. Yes, a big crowd gathered ultimately, but he's, he was teaching the disciples. Check it out for yourself. And in, Roman, in uh, Matthew 7, 11, he, says to the, he calls the disciples evil to their face. He says, if you then who are evil. Now, if we are to simply shun and deny evil and so on, and run away from it and so on, in that simplistic way, then why did Jesus bother with the disciples who were evil? This is the main question that the book is asking. It's saying, well, if Jesus bothered with evil, you know, in that famous passage when it says, you know, he didn't consider uh, equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, made himself, you know, servants to us. Well, he's bothering with evil, isn't he? And that's what you should do. You should be bothered and work with the evil within you. Right? Not because you want to be dominated by it or agree with it or come into line with it, but because Jesus has left us this incredible example of how to be working with the evil within us so it begins to trust us and allow us to uh, run the show. Now, if you look at Jesus' life, that's exactly who he was and what he was. And if you look at Romans 12, verse 2, that's what transformation is. When it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by thinking differently, well, this is it. This is what transformation is. It is helping and encouraging and training and convicting your evil nature, your sinful nature, to trust you, to trust Christ in you, to trust the Spirit, God's Spirit, in you. So what I'm saying in this chapter is the first step of that is unblended language. And I know that if you've read this carefully and you've started to practice it, it is the most challenging thing. Because you'll see that your culture, your training, your background and all your friends and family, they all talk in this blended way and so do you. You say, I this and I that. And you can see this language in Romans. He puts it just beautifully. Such an intelligent and intellectual depth of writing. When he says, why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? Right? Now, if we're stepping out of the medical model and we're saying, what is the biblical model? Right? So the biblical model is that everything's working well. You're God's masterpiece. So that means that what's happening to you is part of something working well, right? So the first step 
to encouraging yourself to work with this sinful nature within you is to understand that rather than trying to trip you up and screw up your life and, and, and everything else that uh, you see as, as Satan's plan, what is your sinful nature actually trying to do? Well, let me assure you, it's trying to help you. It's trying to help you. It's doing the very best it can. If you look at the disciples, you see this in their lives, they were all trying to cope with the oppression of uh, religious beliefs and the occupation of the Romans. They, they, they were using the resources that they had and they were saying, well, this is the best way of coping with that. Now, Jesus came along and blew all of that stuff out of the water and said, no, trust me, I am the way. I am the better way. And in the end, what we see biblically is that they became the most incredible team. And we're all disciples today because of them. So I hope you can start to see how unblended language and working with yourself, and particularly what is called the sinful nature, or what the Bible calls your flesh, is the way forwards. Because it's doing things Jesus' way. And that's the only way forwards. So practice this unblended language. And I give these two examples um, where you can see straight away the timeline. I used to be really organized, but now this. Um, in unblended language, the first step is to remove the timeline. Right? Because what does the Bible say about God, which translates as the spirit within you? It says that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the unchanging one, or and also the uncreated one. He is eternal. He is unchanging. And so what does that mean? It means we have to change our language to the language of I am, the verb, to be. Stop talking about the changing nature of yourself or the crazy nature of yourself and, and start unblending. Say, I am organized and calm, but... There is a panicky part of me. There is a part of me that panics and protects me, tries its best to intervene and protect me when these things happen. Or the second example, you know, I used to get angry. But these days, you know, it doesn't bother me so much. Now, it's understandable when we talk like that. Of course, I'm not saying it's, it's insane to talk like that. I'm saying it's pragmatic and common sense, but it's not biblical. Right? When we say, my angry part is triggered by the things he says, but this part now trusts me to handle it. And when we say no, that is where you might argue a timeline comes back in, but that timeline exists in our consciousness. All right? And so you, that's, that's an example of you having worked with a part that uh, really uh, shows you how parts mainly transform and that is they learn to trust you what was the main transformation in the disciples lives the main transformation was that they learned to trust Christ now that didn't happen straight away there was three three and a half years of hard work putting up with them Jesus even said himself how long must I put up with you right it's exasperating when you work with your flesh right but ultimately, after the uh, resurrection, 
when he appeared to them, trembling and frightened in the upper room. And he said, peace be with you. Ultimately, they believed in him, they trusted him completely, and death lost its fear. So, I would love to hear <laughs> any comments or get in touch with me when you've tried to unblend. And uh, I, I'm, I'm very interested in our struggle this way. I work with people, as I say, every day on these things. And I am continually amazed, encouraged, gratified and inspired by what I see people achieve. We're seeing transformation daily. And one of the beautiful things about this level of transformation is when you achieve it, it is permanent. If you want to know how permanent your brain uh, sees things, just look at, you know, if you've been drinking for 20 years or if you've been, you know, watching porn all your life or if you've been gambling or whatever it is you've been doing, look how consistently your brain offers you that solution. Might have been 20, 30 years you've been doing it. Your brain, your flesh, it will not change unless you change it. Right? So get that big idea on board and realize you are the one that's going to do the work. You have to learn to work with this because the great news, and it's true of the disciples, it's true of your flesh, the great and encouraging news is this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And what does that mean? It means your brain, your flesh, is brilliant at rewiring. If you give it enough encouragement, enough evidence, and enough uh, respect and appreciation. It will learn to trust you. And what does that mean effectively in your life? It means that you will spend more of your time in the spirit. You'll spend more of your time being indistinguishable from Christ. You will walk like him, talk like him, think like him, act like him, because your brain is trusting you to run the show. So look, I could go on and on and on. I, I'm going to stop there um, and we're going to read the next part in the next part of this series. I do so hope you've been encouraged and inspired by what has, you've heard today. Do replay it. Believe me, it might sound in some ways simple, this idea, but I assure you it's extremely profound. So again, be blessed, be encouraged. Until next time.